Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet. Or deep in the ocean, casting nets. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. It's always funny. funny. No, it's usually interesting. Always funny. No, it's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, licensed fishing guide, something, something, and your best friend, and John King, the crappie hippie. Who are you? I am the crappie <laughs> hippie. I am the co-founder of Glasswater Angling Lead Free Fishing and your co-host with Clay Groves tonight on Fish Nerds. Wow. You know, you think by now I'd be able to introduce the show cleanly, but I can't. I know. It's it's fine. It keeps it rustic and real. Rustic. I like that, John. Thanks. John, I'm going to let you drive the show tonight. What's going on? All righty. Well, I just want to start off with a story, if I, if I may. Um, last, in 2021, when you were doing Napod Pomo, the National Podcasting Month in November, mm-hmm. I sent in a, a piece on bobbers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I had the most amazing thing happen. You, know, you think after 58 years of fishing, maybe I'd seen it all. Well, it's not even close. Of course, anybody knows you could fish for a million years and still not learn at all. But anyway, I'm out with, with Sarah. Sarah's visiting. My daughter, Sarah is visiting from Massachusetts and we want to have fish dinner. So we go down to the pond and she's gone on a little olive with a little piece of crystal flash, like a 164th ounce olive under a bobber and I'm, I'm doing kind of the same thing except i'm going bright is an olive is it, what is an olive well it's just an olive jig it's, it's a jig okay yeah. yeah oh i'm sorry yeah olive yeah no not fly rods we're we're ultralight spin fishing for bluegill hopefully maybe a crappie or a couple little bass or something we're just trying to get enough fish for dinner and um so i put a little olive jig on hers with just a little red highlight in it and uh gave her old blue my favorite ultralight and um which is the one I call those perch on when I fish with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, she just starts wailing on my behind like nothing else, catching more and bigger fish. So first thing, I'm like, okay, they don't want this bright, this crazy bright chartreuse and orange contraption I've got on. So I dig out another little olive jig. I put it on my line. I catch two or three little bitty ones, but she's still just smoking me like bacon. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's pathetic. And it finally came down to Clay is that, I had on a cigar shaped bobber and I'd hooked it on either end because we talk about the difference between laying a bobber down and making it stand up. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that the swim of that bobber, when a bobber's laying down, especially a cigar, a cell, you know, a cigar type, you know, it's going to dip on each end as the waves hit it. And as you, you know, or you can do your little Zara spook retriever. You make it zigzag through the water. Well, the fish were having none of that. I mean, none of it. They didn't care. Except for, yeah, except for the little bitty ones, little foolish ones, you know. And so, of course, what do you do, Clay? What do you do? Well, if someone else is having success, you mimic, you copy. You them. mimic them. Yeah. That's right. You copy them, even if you have to steal stuff out of their box. Okay, so I did it, and that's, next thing you know, I'm in the game, and uh, I took her over to a spot where the crappie, you know, t- telling her about the magic hour right there at sunset. And mm-hmm. I said, "We get in here. Hopefully, the crappie will swim up in there." Anyway, it was great. It worked, but. Wow, what an eye opener! And 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 it's funny because I don't usually fish a bobber under a jig. I'm not sure I ever have a jig under a bobber. I'm not sure. I was going to say, wow, <laughs> no, it's a little backwards there, a little backwards. I'm not sure I've ever done that. 
Well, it is a very effective method, and I'm not a big fan of bobbers mm-hmm. because they can be he double hockey sticks in the wind, and you miss a strike, and you're probably off for, you know, if you pull too hard, you're you're going to get a bobber. Just makes things wind up worse. You know, you think your lure is going to wind around your rod when you miss a strike. Mm-hmm. Add a bobber to the to the program. Well, it's funny. I don't use bobbers, especially with kids, as a rule because I find that with kids fishing with bobbers, they don't feel the bite. They don't set the hook and fish end up swallowing the hook and your mortality rates just like quadruple with fishing with kids. So with they're fishing with a jig, they feel the fish and they learn to react to the strike. And it's a lot more effective tool for a lot of kids. Believe me, that's something that I've learned and I tell everybody. It's like, yeah, we love to watch that bobber go down. It's one of the biggest thrills in fishing, but you've got it spot on, brother. If you're especially more than one kid. Your your method of using telescoping uh cane, you know, quote unquote telescoping cane poles mm-hmm. um is ingenious because it really does. It it lets them know what's going on by feel. Um in a visual age, there's nothing wrong with showing people, you know, mm-hmm. to do things with a different sense besides your eyes. Right. And um it prevents all that because boy, you get three kids missing strikes and up in the trees and all that stuff pulling out a little jig isn't so bad but when you throw a bobber in that equation it just makes the most amazing tangles you ever saw well i can't wait to try that. <laughs> well it is a tried and true method and like i said if it didn't work i wouldn't put up with it well i'm, I'm game i'm gonna be soon as soon as the ice melts on silver lake i'm gonna be heading out for this jumbo yellow perch and i'm gonna try that method all right well if yep. they're suspended especially that's it's it's the way to go you know i mean i don't want to get too sidetracked but it works so good on your sunfish because sunfish tend to want to look up rather than down right. sunfish tend to want to swim up at something rather than down now perch like when we fished mm-hmm. dude they were right on the bottom all you had to do was pop that jig about a bot you know you don't want to bring it up more than one or two three inches off the bottom so i don't know man oh they'll come all the way up though when we see them ice fishing on the on the underwater camera they'll chase that jig up 20 feet those okay. they rise right up no problem if they're hungry they're hungry so all right i want to get to a corrections corner here oh. real quick are you f- suggesting that one or both of us have made mistakes i you know it just seems impossible how it seems dare utterly you impossible <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay look i don't want to wear out this musky story because we've we've did that this uh, is week three of, of the back. musky mistake repairs <laughs> so yeah <laughs> But I want to. I uh, uh, hey, I'm a fish nerd. I'm a geek. I want to. I want to dig deep and and get this this figured out. So we we had listeners, you know, c- clue us in the fact that we made some mistakes in our musky facts. So about the Northeast. So here we go. Well, I thought it was just uh, me, John, making mistakes. Well, I didn't think I, it's you were. us, mm-hmm. man. It's the whole team, you know. And that's just another reason I want to do corrections because we got a good team of correspondents here. And yep. what 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 gets flipped on one of us gets flipped on all of us. So, right. um, okay. So here's what I found out, Clay. Vermont is the only state in the Northeast to have native muskies. Right. And just so people know what you're talking about, three weeks ago I announced that muskies were not native to Maine, New Hampshire, or Vermont. A bunch of listeners corrected me and said Maine and Vermont had native muskies. You backed them up. Now you can finish your correction of yourself here. Well, I'll back them up as far as you know Vermont because Lake Champlain and the Missisqua River, which feeds into it, are native musky habitats and therefore vermont is the only new england state with native musky population and the fishery is entirely catch and release and it is enhanced with stockfish from time to time i hope they're using uh local strains for that but i i i would really hope so but i didn't get a chance to go that deep 
Yeah, well, anyway, incidentally, so incidentally, Lake Champlain is one of the only lakes in the country you can shoot fish with a gun. As a legal <laughs> method, so muskie musk are on the list of fish you can shoot. That is the craziest thing that I have ever read when I was reading the rules for that lake. I'm yeah. just like, okay, don't shoot fish with a gun. That sounds like a Kansas thing, you know? I'm just like... Oh. I know, but you know what's horrible, John, is I want to do it. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm game. <laughs> we all we all are attracted by certain horrible things, yeah. I guess. We're not going to catch and release them on that day. Yeah, they're not going to be catching them. That's what I don't know why. Uh, if you're fishing in Lake Champlain in the Missisquale River... Uh, you you can't shoot them with a gun because that fishery is is dedicated um, designated uh, catch and release. Right. When I mentioned Maine, I was you know clear out of my mind. I said maybe it borders the St. Lawrence River. Well, I'm flunking geography there big time. I was flat out wrong. It's the St. Johns River that forms the border between Maine and New Brunswick. New Brunswick. No, yeah. New Brunswick. <laughs> New Brunswick. And um, the deal there is that. In Quebec, in Lac Fontier, uh, Fontier. Your, your French is amazing, John. It is. It's yeah. a, it is amazing, especially since my uh, grandfather was fluent. Um, <laughs> but uh, the Quebec government in the sixties put muskies in that lake, and it's part of the St. John's drainage. Therefore, fish don't sit still; uh, they swim around, they go places, and they do things. And so, those uh, muskies migrated down into Maine. And Baker Lake was the first main water to develop a muskie fishery in the early 1980s. So, yeah, they're in Maine. Yeah, they're in Vermont. They're indigenous to Vermont in the Champlain area. And uh, But uh, Maine got them introduced sort of by accident because the country next door threw them in a river that's in a shared drainage. And uh, and then finally, uh, we tease a lot, but we're going to get this fine gentleman on this show, Clay tells me. But Lawrence Gunther, podcaster of uh, uh, Bluefish Radio, mm-hmm. he, he remains. A, he is. A, uh, let me just give you a little bit on Lawrence Gunther, folks. Clay already knows all this stuff. He's, he's good friends with the guy. But anyway, Lawrence Gunther remains a well-informed authority on the U.S.-Canadian border waters uh, among a vast category of other or vast catalog of other things. He produces the Bluefish Radio podcast and also appears on Lawrence Gunther Outdoors, which is produced by Access Media Incorporated. Blind since the age of eight, he has dedicated his life to helping the handicapped get the tools and skills they need to enjoy the outdoors. He is an outdoorsman, an inventor, a science interpreter, science interpreter, <laughs> science interpreter, and a very active and passionate advocate for the outdoors in terms of environmental issues and making these spaces inclusive for all. If you want to hear uh an interview with him from back in the day check out clay's interview in episode 218 see a long time ago john and he'll be back on the show in a couple of weeks i've been talking to him and we're going to get him on and interview him and the fascinating thing about him besides him just being really interesting is he's totally blind and he drives his own boat that's right yeah doesn't drive his car to get there but i'm going to talk to him about that too because i'm like boats coming because those autonomous cars are on the way so soon he'll be able to take himself all the way there yeah, he's, he's, he, he, you know, all he needs to do is get to the lake and then he's on, you know, he can do it and he fishes tournaments and wins them and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's, he's a fascinating human being and I can't wait till we get him back. It's going to yep. be great. Looking forward to that. Thanks for teasing that, John.
Hey everybody, Crappie Hippie here, your tree-hugging redneck from Eastern Kansas, and I am so excited today because I've got two beautiful young ladies with me, and we're going to talk about some fish recipes that we particularly enjoy. I got my beautiful wife Kathy and my lovely daughter Sarah here. Uh, we're all three uh, chefs of so experience cooking all kinds of things, and we thought we'd put our two cents in on some fish recipes because this show runs a little lean on eating fish aspect of our slogan. So with it being late winter up north and already spring down south and then the whole rest of us in between somewhere, we've come up with some recipes, uh, different temperatures, different comfort food needs and levels, and uh, we're going to give them to you right now. All right, let's start off with Kathy. She's got a great recipe. We used to serve this in our restaurant. Uh, it's a summertime favorite, springtime favorite, as soon as you can start getting the greens and the vegetables that, that require it. Um, anyway, it's absolutely fantastic. Kathy? All right, this is one of my favorite uh, salads that can be eaten cold or at room temperature. Um, of course, um, I'll give a little bit of variations on it, but it's basically starts with two ears of fresh corn cut off the cob. If you don't have fresh corn, you can use frozen corn, approximately half of a bag, half of a pound bag, a thawed, uh, one half red onion chopped, one English cucumber chopped. If you don't have an English cucumber, you can use a regular cucumber. I would peel it, um, at least half of it peeled and the seeds removed. Uh, one fourth cup of Italian parsley, or if you prefer cilantro, and those should be chopped. One fourth teaspoon red pepper and one fourth teaspoon of black pepper. And just toss all of that in a bowl. And then we like to I usually add a poached or leftover white fish. Um, you know, if you've sauteed the fish in a pan, that's fine. If you have shrimp or salmon, that's also fabulous. And I like to use a soy ginger dressing. Uh, this recipe is for one pint. Start with one third cup of balsamic vinegar, 10 to 20 grinds of black pepper, one to two cloves of finely chopped garlic, one tablespoon of finely chopped ginger. I do like to remove the peel. One teaspoon of honey. Now, wait a minute. Do you remove the peel before you chop it, or do you take the dice and then tie it? Okay, before you chop it. Before it's chopped. All right. Chopped. Before, before you chop it. Thank you very much for that question. I got to look out for my peeps, so, you know. Then we have the rind of half a lemon. I like to use a zester for that. Um, if you don't have a zester, you can use a peeler and then chop it from the peel. Uh, juice of one half of a lemon, seeds removed, a pinch of red pepper flakes, one half cup of soy sauce. Quarter or half? I'm sorry, one fourth cup of soy and then combine all of that in a pint jar and fill with olive oil. And that keeps really well in the fridge for, you know, a month or two anyway, as long as your fridge is nice and cold. The olive oil will solidify in the fridge. Uh, so before you use it, you'll want to get it out, let it come to room temperature, give it a good mix. And this is fabulous, just drizzled on top of the salad. Depending on how big of a meal you're having, how big of eaters you have, you can adjust it. 
I would say that the amount I've given here, uh, using about four to six ounces of fish on the vegetables would feed two to three people uh, for a nice meal. Okay, so that's great. So we're talking about like the white fish, we're talking the crappie, bluegill, walleye, black bass, white bass, something like that. Um, but the thing I love about this recipe is it also works with the salmon, trout, fish like that, right? Yes, and you could also even use canned fish if you want. Absolutely. I mean, we're don't gasp and don't freak out. I mean, we're talking, you know, good canned fish. Um, it's sometimes you just got to get dinner done, right? And sometimes, you know, you live or, or in a situation where you can't get exactly what the people on TV use. Um, this is really good. I, I assume tuna fish would be outstanding in this. Wonderful. And, uh, of course, a nice canned salmon. Just pick out all the little the skin and the bones and this and just put the chunks in there. So, anyway, I'm asking questions like I've never made this before. It's, I've done it a bunch of times, and it's fabulous every time, whether you use the shrimp, the salmon, the crappie, the sea bass, the black bass, whatever you put on it. Uh, this is a great salad that you can just have it by itself, but if you want to turn it into a fish dish, follow Kathy's recipe and you will be happy every time. All right, up next is Sarah King, my daughter. She lives in central Massachusetts and she is in a roommate situation where they come and go and do their thing as they please. They eat together sometimes and they eat apart most of the time, so... Tell us one of your favorite fish dishes when you come home and, and what you do. I uh, cook everything about the same way. Um, so this is going to be a lot more simple than the fancy, fun, and delicious food my mom was talking about. But um, Hey, simple is good. There's nothing wrong with yeah, simple. Let's it's eat. Very straightforward. I cook, I turn my oven up really high to like 400 or 425 degrees, and I get my cast iron out and put a little bit of olive oil in it. And then chop up whatever vegetables I'm going to use, um, potatoes, Brussels sprouts, onions, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, any of it. Toss that in the cast iron pan and put that in the oven once it's, once it's preheated for like 20 to 25 minutes. And then I just throw in whatever fish I'm going to have on top and let it finish uh, for however long it takes the fish to be done. And the cast iron's hot enough that the steam from the veggies keeps the fish really, like, moist and not dried out and cooks it really fast in a nice way. And you just, usually I can eat the whole thing, but it also saves well for leftovers. Well, fantastic. And that is people's number one complaint with the baked fish is that, oh, it dries out, it dries out, it dries out. But it's an ingenious method. It has a great uh, cooking duration that keeps the fish moist. Plus, you've got some backup there with all the moisture from the veggies. Uh, I've had this more than once. And you can drizzle some soy ginger dressing yeah. over the top of it. Yeah, and it's you can extra finish good. it in so many different ways, just like with lemon or just salt and pepper is usually what I do. But, you know, if you're using like Korean, like gochujang is that really yummy Korean uh, chili paste that's so good. Um, so you can make it more complicated by what you top it with, for sure. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you, sweetness. All right, now it's my turn. Now, up north, we know that everybody likes to have some potato soup in the wintertime. And potato soup is one of the greatest things you can make because you can make it with cream, you can make it with milk, you can make it with evaporated milk. You can do a vegetarian version with a, with a vegetable stock. You can do a clear version for people that are dairy intolerant with a chicken stock. You can make a vegan version if you want. It's all good. So, 
basically make the potato soup base you like. The one I like the best is just the good old traditional one. A little olive oil, little butter into a Dutch oven, say about a five quart Dutch oven. Uh, throw in uh, half a diced onion, two, three ribs of chopped celery, oh, three, four medium-sized carrots chopped up any way you like them. I don't care, dice, disc, or do that thing where you roll them over and make the little chunks. Uh, that's up to you. And uh, saute that off until it's sweated down properly. And then you go ahead and uh, fill it up with the uh, liquid. And you let all that marry and get together. And then somewhere in here, if you want, you can add a half a cup to a cup of corn. Potatoes. <laughs> Wait a minute. Did I miss something? You did. Where are the potatoes? Where's the potatoes? No, I'll... This is why I need to be watched. This is why I need women in my life. Okay, right. <laughs> that was a that was soup with celery and onion. That was celery, onion, carrot soup. But now if you want to turn that into potato soup, now you get your basic mirepoix, which is the fancy name for your onion and carrot and, and celery, and then, yeah, you put your potatoes in, you let those work for a while, and make them the size you like. I like, oh, I like them diced about the size of a die that you play Monopoly with, but they can be bigger, they can be smaller. It's your soup, do it your way. Uh, but let them go until they're just starting to get tender. Then go ahead, add the liquid, whatever you're using for liquid. Uh, we're in a five quart, so we're probably gonna make about three quarts of soup in this thing. So about a half gallon of liquid is probably where you're gonna be at right in there. In the meantime, yeah, you have uh, some Italian parsley ready chopped, ready for garnish. You can have some chives if you want. You can have some green onion if you want. But here's where we can take this over and turn it into a fish dish real easy, okay? You make the main base. Then you put, depending on how many people are coming to your gathering that are gonna potentially eat fish, you go ahead and put some aside for the people you know don't watch fish for whatever reason. And then you have one over here. And right now there's all kinds of ways to cook the fish in this. You can put it in big chunks and let it cook for quite a while. But what we like to do is take smaller pieces and right before we're ready to eat, put them in there, just let them simmer a little bit. And just as soon as our fork tender, then we start dishing it up because I don't like the fish to get overdone and just absolutely flake apart and disappear into it. Kathy doesn't like it to get, you know, super, super fishy because the fish have been in there simmering all day. So we're kind of in accord uh, on how we want this to taste and how we want the texture to go. Now, I don't care whether you're putting fish in it or not. Here's how I like to finish it off. With a big blob or slice of butter right on top, a little salt and a little black pepper. Now, I don't much care to put onion and chives and stuff like that on fish, so I'm not gonna finish it that way. But if I have it without the fish, of course, I'm gonna go ahead and do that because uh, it's just a natural. However, whatever the presentation, I enjoy finishing it up with a shot of Italian parsley. It makes it look pretty and it has that nice freshness, just a nice little element to all that richness to have that nice fresh shot there on at the end. So you can kind of gauge your serving size. I don't do more than two ounces, three ounces at the very most. I mean, how much fish do you want in this? Uh, but two ounces, three ounces per person at the most. If the fish is small enough and you've really got that, that, that base rolling, you can just lay in a small amount of super thin fillets and then pour the base over the top and it'll basically, you know, get, let it sit there a little bit and it'll cook that up in that sort of a style. But anyway, finish it with a pat of butter and a little eye par and it is absolutely fantastic.
it's such a good soup. And you didn't mention if you like to peel the potatoes or not. Well, we don't. We don't like to peel the potatoes. But, of course, if they've been sitting around a while or you notice they got a little green or something on them, you better go ahead and peel them. But of course, and, of course, we don't like that. That's entirely up to you. We don't throw shade on people for how they like to eat. That's not nice. Well, all the nutrients are in the skin. All the nutrients are in the skin, but potato chips rock. So, you know, you just can't get too hung up on it because, yes, I like, but I, I personally, not only are the nutrients in the skin, but there's a lot of flavor there and a lot of good texture there, at least in my humble opinion. So do it as you want it, but uh, yes, you will absolutely have a more nutritious, nutritious experience if you leave the skin on. You could also use shrimp in that instead of a white fish. Absolutely, and speaking of fish, Oysters? Um, well, of course, we, you know, the same basis used in oyster stew, clam chowder, um, shrimp chowder, all kinds of stuff. Uh, you can change it around a little bit if you want, but we're sitting here in Kansas, so we're going to be using crappie, bluegill, walleye, white bass, black bass, things like that. Now, catfish could work. It's going to be a little more on the fishy side. Fish from the ocean, like uh, flounder fluke, striper, uh, some of those, uh, sea bass, those are all really good Soul. in this. Sole, you got sole. Yeah, what is it? Sole, flute, flounder, those flat things with the eyes on top. Any of those be really good in here. Also, the ones I want to try, I've never had this with burbot or cusk, but I think it would be fabulous in here because I know monkfish would be fabulous in here and is fabulous in here. And another thing that I'd like to try is paddlefish because our field tester, Birdie, he brought us some paddlefish one time and we really enjoyed it. And it's a nice, firm white fish that'll hold up well in a recipe that simmers like this. So just get with it. And once once again, this is just something you're already making in your own way. Well, you want to turn it into a fish dish? There you go. Sounds yummy. <laughs> Let's eat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Crappie Hippie and Family talking a few recipes that cover late winter, early spring, and everything in between. Tight lines and valentines. Peace out. Um, all right, look, shall we do some fish in the news? Yeah, let's do it. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. All right, a couple of stories here, John. You can take the first one. Um, Clay, John, you know what an indicator taxa is? An indicator taxa. Well, if you're fishing, an indicator is a bobber. So an indicator taxa <laughs> is a is an indicator of a, that there's a taxonomy happening nearby. Yeah, I'm gonna I stay did, with that answer. It's it's well, um, <laughs> not too much. I mean, it is there. Okay, you got it. I mean, it is. Indicator taxa are species or higher taxonomic groups whose parameters such as density, presence or absence, or infant survivorship, are used as proxy measures of ecosystem conditions. Mm. Yeah, well, that's a lot of science talk, but I'm yeah. trying to, you know, I'm trying to impress Doc and Amy and, and people that really know what I'm talk, uh, sure. talking about, unlike me. But, you know, it's an indicator species. So if we see a lot of uh, this species or that species, we can kind of extrapolate out that this body of water is doing okay. Or maybe if they're not there or certain uh, segments of their uh, population are not in place, then then we are uh, maybe in trouble or maybe we need to uh, look at this body of water from a closer conservation standpoint. And um, I can got this little article here 
from the University of Helsinki, which is in the non-existent Finland. Right. Um, and, and Finnish listeners don't get mad at me. I just we had a funny <laughs> Clay did a funny story about the non-existence of Finland. It doesn't exist, John. I've proven it. Finland is, proven. Is, is a water body. And anyone who claims to be from Finland is from Sweden. I talked to a Swede <laughs> who pretended he was from Finland on this show. You can listen back. And find <laughs> <it. So. laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to skim this through real quick because it, it it's pretty one-on-one obvious, but it's, it, it's also fascinating in that this is an urban study. Uh, ponds are important part of urban green blue infrastructure. And they, uh, you know, we all know the importance of green spaces in cities, outside of cities. And then of course you got to have aquatic spaces in those green spaces. Um, but when we introduce fish for to catch or just to have in there, um, of course they're going to have an effect on other species, including aquatic invertebrates. Um, and so health, the university of Helsinki did a story on how aquatic plants, you know, how many, what you want, um, how dense they should be and so on. Anyway, they're, they're backing up the research that says yeah you got to have aquatic plants in there uh not just for fish to hide boys and girls but for the little bugs and the this and that to have a place to live and to reproduce so emergent plants such as sedges can enhance the occurrence their indicator taxon was the diving beetle and so they were talking about plants like that grow on the edge in the riparian zone or just just in in the water right next to the riparian zone um to increase biodiversity now we all know bulrushes uh, uh um, cattails one of my favorites uh and and of course sedges i i'm not sure in europe what that exactly amounts to but i'm sure it's a plant real similar um you just gotta have these in there uh if you're going to stock your pond with fish you got to give the the prey a place to you know breed and to thrive and so forth so what they came up with is that the optimal amount to keep diving beetles happy and at their peak is 40% of the pond margin being vegetated by emergent plants, such as sedges, cattails, uh, pickerel weed, things like that. That's not too um, much. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it's less than half. And, and they say it's important not to overcrowd because you got to leave some open water for things like caddis and mayflies and stuff that do a lot of their work, uh, out, out in the open. And, 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 and I apparently, uh, you know, use different sort of environments. Um, you know, we've got different things like, like, uh, mayflies and such mm -hmm. that, you know, down in the mud and this kind of thing, and then crawl up on the stalks of, of cattails and, and sedges and, and, and rushes and things like that. So anyway, this, this great study was interesting. We'll throw a link in the show notes. Um, just saying, you know, let's not manicure these urban ponds until they just look like a pool of pond water with no plants, no nothing. Now, there are people who think that's a remarkable aesthetic, but I think it's bull cookies because you know, you got to know. And this is the point. It's like we've got to leave these plants in here so people can appreciate plants, what they're doing. Well, for the bugs, but for you and me, this is what we need to, you know, people, this is what you want to see. See these plants is beautiful. Don't see a barren pond. It's just a pool of reflecting water as you know, some sort of problem. You know what I mean? Yep. I think you're right. So, John, I was fishing with Dave Kellum in Concord, New Hampshire, in an urban pond, and it had no plants around it whatsoever. It was mowed right to the edge. And uh, it had bass in it and uh, bluegill and stuff, and but no no place for animals to hide. And 
I was watching a kid, like a 10-year-old kid, and he was getting bait in a leaf litter in the shallows because there was no plants around. And he would just grab a handful of dead leaves that were in the water, pull them out, dump them on the shoreline. It was full of all your beetles, and it had the baby, baby bluegills in it because they were hiding where they could, not in the optimal place. And he was able to hand fish all these things out of there. So it matters. Oh, it absolutely matters. And I don't want to, I'm going to leave the listeners to read this. I want to get into a, all these details about, you know, if, if fish are, or aren't present and, and what happens with these diving beetles. But the point is the overall point is something that Amy taught me a long time ago is that if you do not have a healthy and diverse environment in your pond, then you are going to have trouble, um, keeping up with what you want in terms of, of fish size, fish numbers, and so on. Uh, you can't just do that quick fix of, oh, let's just keep dumping fish in there. Mm-hmm. If you want to create a sustainable system, leave those plants. Well, all right. Thank you, John. <laughs> all right. What you got? You well, got, you got, a, I got you a got short, a old... I got a very short one and I'm, I'm doing this. One I love this one. So in my day job, I'm a, I'm a DJ on the radio. I did the morning news yesterday morning. So March 6th. This came in, in my, I got a press release from, th- from this, and I was able to get my news up before any major news channel picked the story up. So I, tr- I was a, one of the first people in the country to report on this breaking news. And the only reason uh-huh. I used it is because it's so funny. <laughs> That's it. But then it, it, it appeared on CNN, NBC, MSNBC, Fox News, late night TV talk shows will be host will be talking about it. But I had it first yesterday morning at 6 a.m. Uh, scientists in Florida found a 214-year-old mollusk, and they, you know, uh, like just a just a just a, a, a clam. And John, how do how do you measure how old a clam is? Uh, ridge count. Yeah, same as you would with a tree cookie. You just you you, you count the layers in the shells, right? So exactly. it turns out this clam is 214 years old, based on that which means it's been alive since 1809. Who was president? Wait, what president was born in 1809? Uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. So what do you think they named the clam? Abraham uh, Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Cool. He was born in the same year. He was the Gulf's best marine laboratory said an AmeriCorps member named Blaine, no last name given, found it while walking with his family. And it's an ocean quahog, and it, they often live more than 200 years. So it's not an anomaly to find a 200-year-old clam, but the fact that they named it Abraham Lincoln made it news. So just that by being is- clever in your blog post... <laughs> you can make national news. Abraham Lincoln. Uh, incidentally, Abraham Lincoln was released back into the wild. So he is. Oh, that's fantastic! He is out, that's he's fantastic. emancipating the ocean now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Four exactly. score and seven seas ago, <laughs> I was so. brought forth upon this uh, yep. watery continent. Yes, yep. indeed. We all had to memorize that when we were kids. <laughs> I don't think they still that they still memorize stuff like that anymore. But back in the day, anyway, back that's that's day. all I got for fish in the news. Let's get out of this. Wrong button.
All right, I am really, really stoked to get into this next segment now on the show. Uh, I met this gentleman. His name is Todd Correa, the fish rap writer, through Tim Beat, my former partner on the Lure Love podcast. They got to fish together up in Lake of the Woods, and Todd got a hold of me, and we talked a little bit, and then he did an article on glasswater angling, and we sure appreciate that because, you see, Todd is an outdoor writer, and he writes for seven, eight papers there in the Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts area. Uh, if I missed one, Todd, I apologize. But anyway, all through that area. Plus, you can catch him at fishraftwriter.com. He does articles about local issues in fishing. He does articles about the environment. But mostly, he does a lot of articles giving people the inside skinny on what's biting and where and on what. So, he's a great read. I pick it up whenever I can. Anyhow, when Clay called out for new correspondence, I instantly thought of Todd. He's got to join the fish nerds. i got to at least try to get him on the show. Well, when I put it to him, he jumped right on it. And his first segment he sent in is absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to leave it off here and let you all get to know our newest correspondent. Welcome to the show, Todd Correa, the fish rap writer. Hey now, and hello, and thanks very much for letting me be part of this pretty awesome Fish Nerd podcast. This is my first time here. My name is Todd Carrere, and we here at Fish Rap Central have spent pretty much 10 years telling other people's mostly true fishing stories. And through all those years, man, I've been blessed to meet so many characters and definitely a couple of scallywags, you know, but um, mostly phenomenal anglers and dedicated outdoorsmen and women. And a few of those folks have really made an impression on me. So I'd love you to meet one of them. She's a new tackle store owner named Rosie. She and her family own Rosie's Bait and Tackle in Rhode Island, and they are very quickly building a very popular brand. Rosie ties fresh and saltwater flies. She builds some really fine high-low rigs for Tatog and black sea bass and fluke. She custom builds inshore, surf, and fly rods with her father, Hugh. And somehow Rosie still finds time to paint the coolest-looking quahog shells in mahi-mahi and Tatog patterns. So for a little background, uh, I met Rosie last year for the first time when she walked across a stage at a Tatog tournament with a bomber of a blackfish. She was one of the only female anglers, and she was the only person wearing old-school checkered vans, so you can see why I was totally impressed by Rosie. And since we're all about good people here at Fish Wrap, I'd like you all to meet Rosie. So without further introductions, Rosie, please say hello to all the Fish Nerd listeners. Okay, so would you tell me and tell everyone in the Fish Nerd podcast how you started fishing? Well, I I don't remember exactly, but I feel like I just started to learn a fish. I'm pretty sure it was taught by my dad. The first time, one of the first times I went fishing, I was on a pier in Portland, Maine, and... I was fishing for mackerel, and when they were flopping around, I thought they were dancing, and I danced around with them. Okay, so I know that you tie some flies and build some rods, so can you tell me what you are doing with Rosie's bait and tackle? Well, what I do in the bait and tackle shop is tying flies and building rods. The for flies, I do all sorts of things. A few of my favorites are clouser minnows and cinder worms. And for freshwater, I do woolly boogers and 
egg patterns. So for the rods, I can make all sorts of things. For the kinds of rods that we're making, we've mostly made surf rods and offshore and spinning. Did you make some fly rods too? Yes, we've made fly rods as well. What are the? Can you tell me some of the names of the rods you've made already? Like for instance, I've made myself my own kind of rod called the Rainbow Rose. The reason that I name each of my most of my rods after flowers is because well, this Bay and Tackle shop is called Rosie's Bay and Tackle. My dad has a custom rod called the Fire Rose, and we're making Mr. Todd a rod called the American Beauty. And American Beauty is a kind of rose. Phenomenal. Can you tell us if you have a favorite fish to catch and maybe you have a favorite one to eat? Well, the favorite fish that I've catched here in Rhode Island would maybe probably be a tatog. They put up such a fight. And my favorite one to eat, the favorite one to eat that I have caught is a fluke. And didn't you tell me that you caught a fluke on a very strange lure? Yes, it was an SP minnow, a little kind of SP minnow called the Blurple. Okay, now I heard that you like to fish from your kayak. Do you have any good fish stories from your kayak? You bet. So, one time when we went off fishing early in the mer- morning, I surprised my dad with a 14-inch fluke. That you caught? Yes, all on my own. And I didn't even shout, I caught a fluke. And what I kind of a kayak is this? This is a, well... Do you know how big it is? It is about 10 feet long. Perfect. And it has riggers on the sides to keep it stable. Perfect. And you caught a 14-inch fluke. Mm-hmm. And what did you catch it on? I caught it on a... You don't have to tell us if it's top secret. Well, it is kind of an awesome trick. So, I caught it on a little minnow jig. And that worked. And we were doing... um... Were you jigging for it? Yeah. So, we... I dropped the line down to the bottom of the whatever it is in, where water is in. Okay, right down and to the sand. I just twitch it up. And whammo. Up, and then, bam, it just hooked on. Fantastic. Well, can you just tell me again about what rods you're building right now for your customers? Well, we're almost done with the American Beauty and we're going to make a rod 
for uh, um. Is this the one that you're gonna you're gonna donate? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Gonna donate. Okay. Now, is there anything you want to ask me? Is there any fishy type chit chat or something? Well. Since you're the star, I mean, this is your moment. This is your chance. My question is, what was the first fish you caught in Rhode Island? Well, I'll tell you. The first fish that I caught was a striped bass, and I caught it on a periwinkle in Old Harbor on Block Island when I was in first grade, give or take. Right in there somewhere. First or second grade. What's a periwinkle? It's a little, small, black snail about size of a dime maybe or a nickel and I broke it open and I put the meat on a hook and I think I got lucky because the fish were coming through the harbor and I think I got lucky and I caught a nice big striper that was maybe five or six so so you're working on we're not supposed to be talking about me you're the star here (laughs) so Rosie's bait and tackle is on the way it's growing it's getting bigger you're making flies and are you taking fly orders can you make flies for people now Yes, we've got a customer already. Excellent, excellent. So we'll tell people to look for you on social media, Rosie's Bait and Tackle. Mm-hmm. And people want to place an order, get some clousers. The worm hatch will be coming pretty soon after Mother's Day, so maybe those orders will come in for some new flies. Yeah. Got it? Well, thank you. I'm very grateful you came here to talk to us. Thank you for being on the Fish Nerd Podcast. You got to be on the very first episode with me, which is really awesome. So thank you very much. And hopefully we'll get to talk to you again. You're welcome. My goodness, wasn't that a delightful, delightful, delightful interview? What an amazing young lady. I mean, I'm going to have a month-long case of the warm fuzzies just thinking about this. I think I can just put my winter coat away. we got to give out some thanks here, first of all, to Todd Carrere for joining the show and bringing us a wonderful guest to listen to as a final high note to our 308th episode. We also would like to thank Rosie's folks for letting her come on the show. Best of luck with that tackle shop. But most of all, we want to thank Rosie for coming on and filling us in on all kinds of wonderful things and talking about her business with the pride and the excitement that comes with being an entrepreneur. Rosie, I hope to hear your voice back on this show sooner than later. But in the meantime, you keep wrapping those rods, you keep tying those flies, and most of all, you keep getting after those fish. Alrighty, this is Crappie Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck, saying you want to keep more stories like this in your life? Please check out the Fish Wrap Rider at fishwraprider.com. Let me ask you this, Clay. Yeah. Being such a busy guy and a guy that just you know can't get enough, just like me, um, do you ever have a list of need-to-dos, need-to-do chores, need-to-do things, that just don't get done until some certain circumstance comes along and says, now's the time, now's yes. the time you got to do it. Yeah, what happens, John, is there's a lot of those things, and then things come to a head, and I'm just about able, I'm just about to be made single, and I do the chores so I can stay married. So that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the limiting factor. If I was single, John, I would not do anything except for the stuff <laughs> I want. I would just do what I want to do. I probably live in a condo, so there's no yard to work on. I don't like doing yard work. I don't want to fix the house. I want to play. I want to talk. That's it. That's it? <laughs> Two things. Hey, yeah. that's, that is a noble I don't, I don't want to fix broken things. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I just want to do a quick update on, on Glasswater because uh, I have this wonderful account with the Maine Audubon Society, 
and a wonderful young lady there, Laura Williams, she's their biologist. And uh, they order stuff from me for their tackle exchanges. And they've been increasing their order every year. Well, originally I just sent in the stuff um, in kind of a bulk pack where I put in the jig heads and then write on a slip of paper, this is what they are and, and out the door they go. But as a business person, that's not so smart. You know what I'm talking about? Well, cause it, cause the presentation matters. Yeah. Presentation matters. Association matters. And so all that, uh, you know, and Audubon, come on. It's the Audubon society is one of the most successful conservation groups in the world. Do Very you know, do you know when I met Dave Kellum, he was the director of Amiskeg Fishways, which was at the Audubon's an Audubon center. And he hired me as an Audubon naturalist, so we, but we were the only Audubon center that focused on fish. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. So you kind of had uh, my friend Laura's job in a way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, anyway, it just all dawned on me. These are such great folks. And I'm like, hey, you're showing up, you know, to the Audubon uh situation basically dressed in your work pants. You know, you mm -hmm. need to class it up. You need to right. dress it up. Where are your car hearts? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, yeah. Put on the clean car hearts and, you know, show up uh, looking a little bit presentable. So I just locked down and, you know, I've been fiddling around what, what kind of name for the jig heads. And, uh, anyway, I branded everything. I made art for everything. I, I made header cards and backer cards and this kind of stuff. So, you know, my jig heads are now biz jig, bismuth alloy jig heads. Uh, I love biz jig. I thought <laughs> had to bounce it off the girl's this and that, mm -hmm. but we settled on that. Tim and I came up with King 10 for the split shot. I like that. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then um, Kathy came, uh, Birdie, our, our field tester, came up with Ring King for the paddle tail grubs. And Kathy came up with the slogan, one grub to rule them all. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I've been doing. Because uh, I kept telling them, why is this order taking me so darn long to fill? And I'm like, well, you're having to make materials and and package things all the different you're not just doing bulk pack anymore and just getting it out right. of here you don't have minions working for you what's that you don't have employees doing this for you uh well what do you mean inside my head or out of my head <laughs> inside my head i have like a dozen employees but, but, but the reality head, of, of small businesses you do it all yourself I, yeah, I have yeah. to do it all myself so yeah, I get and that. marketing is one of my weakest areas i don't know that much about it me too and you know commercial marketing ploys especially on television are just like made me want to you know get sick so you know thinking about marketing that that job gets back burner to lure design and talk about wanting to have fun all the time right i just want to design lures run out and test them that's all i really want to do right uh i have to put on my big boy pants and in this case my good looking big boy pants because when you go hanging out with the audubon society you want to look good so you do. thank you laura thank you main audubon for kicking me in the butt and getting me to finish some of this stuff up because it really needed doing. Hey, good job, John. Good job. Good. Yesterday, uh, Sunday, I went, I took some guys fishing. We went ice fishing on, on Lake Winnipesaukee. And it was the, I'm going to be a very short story, but I think you should know it was the worst ice fishing experience one could have and still live through. So the worst is <laughs> when you die. But this was awful. <laughs> yeah. so, two super nice guys both pre-med students like working on their on whatever they the rotations or whatever they call it thing and they wanted to go ice fishing they demanded to go fishing for uh, lake trout which is like varsity level ice fishing but we had a huge storm on saturday so we had a foot of snow on the ice and because the ice was only four inches thick water got pulled up through all the cracks in the ice and ended up with six inches of water on top of the ice and we spent the day 
just like walking through glue all day and never catching a fish. But it was terrible. It was terrible conditions. Worst. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, well, I'm relieved that you were out there with med students because if someone has, you know, that's heart attack conditions, dude. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I told mean, him it was no big deal. <laughs> I just, that, that just sounds like exhausting. Exhausting. All righty, Clay. We need a winner for February. You got one for me? I do. Beth Metz has won. She's a Patreon supporter. You know what? I think uh, I'm going to have to jump into my customer database because that sounds awful familiar. Well, Beth, you have won a Crappie Doula four-pack and an Angle King of your choice. Now, you can go on uh, glasswaterangling.com, pick out the four Crappie Doulas you want, pick out the Angle King you want. If you need some help from me, there's an info email there. You can hit me up there. Um, but otherwise, pick what you want. Tell me what you want or tell Clay what you want, and then we'll get that in, in a package, and we'll send it right on off to you. And we do need to announce the March contest. Uh, we're doing a contest for the month of March called Lucky or Unlucky Lure Stories. All you can do is call us up at 607-378-FISH or grab your phone and do a voice recording. Email it to clay at fishnerds.com and tell us a story about a lucky or unlucky lure. And you'll be entered to win a Green Machine Crappy Doula 4-pack and a dozen green jigs, some John Deere, some Disco Grasshopper, and some Green Hornets in whatever size you want from 164 to 316. Again, the number, 607-378-FISH, or grab your cell phone, record it, send it into clay at fishnerds.com. Send it all in there, and we'll get you entered to win there. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> You've been listening to the Fish Nerds when you should have been fishing. Big thanks to Rosie's Tackle Shop and our new correspondent, Todd Correa. Fish nerds, fish rap writer. Appreciate that. Big thanks to John's family for doing the cooking segment. Thanks to Diane's Bath Salts for the news music. And thank you to Wally Pleasant for our opening theme. And until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached and swim against the current every chance you get.